This is episode 0B of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, March 15th, 2011. I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. Yep, again. A little noisier than usual. Yeah, well, we're having to record in my loud co-working facility. It feels like a party. Yeah, people who follow me on Identica know the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the pains I go to to try. And, but I couldn't get you up early enough. It's really quiet here at 6 a.m. You didn't, wait, hang on, you didn't even try. Oh, that's true. I didn't even bother to ask. That's probably wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but maybe it'll just mean that our oddcast is a little more fun than usual today. Why is that? Because there's a festive atmosphere. Yeah, I, I don't understand that well. Noise equaling festivity? Or Well, the point is, is if you're trying to work... Noise equaling fun? I, noise is just... It's, it's the enemy. I work a lot better when I'm around noise. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, so we read this blog post by Andy Updegrove, right? It was a little while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, and so it was, it was on a topic that we've talked about before and we've actually said that we were going to talk about even more. Yeah, it's definitely near and dear to our hearts. So the thought was that we should probably finally talk in detail about it because we had said a few times, I think, on previous shows or on the old show that we were going to talk about the issues of governance of nonprofits and why nonprofits are important in the development of open source and free software. Obviously, it's a big part of my life these days because I'm running Conservancy full time. And it's, and it's a big part of my life because I advise nonprofit free software foundations and so, work at one. So, so the, so we have some expertise, I think. Yeah. And also we really feel, have, have strong feelings about it. And admittedly, we won't have the interesting point counterpoint discussion because I think we pretty much agree on all of this. Well, so, so I became convinced while I was working for FSF. So it's this, this long ago that it was at least six or seven years ago that it was better to do open source and free software development, although FSF, I was only thinking about free software development, um, in a nonprofit setting. That I think that's the, the best way to foster and fund and create open source and free software. Right, which is not to say that, um, that other ways of developing free and open source software aren't also good and productive and very welcome, but I, I, I agree with you that in a lot of ways, a nonprofit um, situation is is more beneficial for the software itself. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, RMS has actually talked about this a lot. Uh, when he tells the story of the history of the FSF, he talks about how during the 80s and 90s, uh, the late 80s after FSF was founded and during the early, throughout, through into the early 90s, FSF would hire programmers on staff to work on various 
software packages. For example, most of GNU C uh, library was written by Roland McGrath as a staffer of FSAF. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know that because Roland did it so long ago. Roland's probably better known these days as a, uh, as a developer on Linux, uh, than mm -hmm. not so much on, uh, C library stuff like he used to be because Ulrich Drepper is probably better known for that now. Uh, but that was done as FSF funded work by donations to FSF that were funded to pay staff to work on the software. Yeah, and there are other foundations that do that now too, and Conservancy is one of them, for example. Yeah, we, we have a number of contractors. And Conservancy is a little bit different that we don't currently have any uh, employees who are actually employees of the organization. Oh, oh you're saying he was actually an employee actually of the regular, FSF. I didn't know that. Yeah, regular mundane 40 hour a week type employee. Uh, but Conservancy does have 1099 contractors who are basically being funded for full-time work. Matt McCall is being funded full-time by Conservancy uh, right now for Mercurial. There's a number of jQuery developers uh, being funded. Uh, there's probably two or three others that I'm forgetting about that are at least being funded somewhat uh, on contract, uh, uh, basically occasionally for doing development work. And I, I think the reason I like it so much as compared to what, what RMS used to say, what RMS used to say, well, the reason FSF doesn't hire programmers anymore is because so many companies like Red Hat is a great example are maintaining and improving the code that FSF originally generates. So you look at things like GCC, which RMS wrote, you look at things like glibc, which Roland McGrath wrote, those are being maintained by Red Hat employees, uh, by and large, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that GCC and glibc are probably two that are most contributed to by Red Hat. If we did the numbers, I bet that, I bet we find that. Um, so from RMS's point of view, it's like, well, if, from his point of view, uh, an employee of a corporation is a volunteer, and if you can get volunteers to do something, why pay staffers? Well, what's great about that is that it's basically set up within the construct that the FSF um, defined. So, so even though that work is being done by those corporate employees or company employees, corporate employees sounds really, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so even though it's being done by employees of these, of these companies, because there's an infrastructure and a governance set up for these projects, it's not, um, it's not like those projects are being maintained by the company. That's that's correct, and I think that that's something that, that makes it possible for FSF to view those people as volunteers because they're still operating under the auspices of the GNU project and following GNU project policy guidelines and so forth. And I think a lot of uh, free software, actually, really, it's correct to say open source more than free software there, gets written today by uh, uh, companies that are writing it for their own interest. A lot of, there's a lot of packages out there that are written from scratch by companies and released under a free software license. So it's free software from that point of view. But the way the community is structured is not really like what we think about traditionally when we look at things like GCC or Linux for that matter and the way the communities are structured primarily by individuals who happen to be employed working on mm. the, the code. And the first half of what you were saying, I was rolling my eyes and getting defensive because I cannot stand this distinction between free software and open source in this meaningless distinction okay. and using it sometimes to describe one thing and other times to describe another, we're really talking about the same thing. Okay, well. And you use the term open source to talk about free software that's you know advantageous in a business setting and, and pushed forward by people who have primarily have interests in increasing their own personal or corporate profit. But where those lines are, are meaningless. No, I agree it's a spectrum, but... Uh, but it's, yeah. I, I wouldn't even... I, just, I okay. just think it's a waste of time. I'm sorry, I know I'm saying it's a waste of time after having brought it up and taken the time to make a divergence to it, but I, I really just think that my, that distinction is so unproductive and so confusing. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Carry so, on. Well, anyway, <laughs> so, uh, so, but we, we didn't 
plan to have the terminology no, no, debate. No, 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 uh, we, we want to talk about, about how these governance structures can be created in uh, free software projects to form their own nonprofits. Because I think a, a lot of projects uh, would prefer to be working inside a nonprofit. They probably don't know how. Don't know how, and when I see people applying to conservancy, I frequently am seeing people who don't know how or asking how they can be part of a nonprofit or, or otherwise have a nonprofit. And to the end, a lot of people writing to conservancy are asking, "How do I make it so that no one company has control of the project? How do I make it so that the community retains control?" It's so interesting because I think that's actually the most important question, but it is in a way not that relevant to the actual you know, nuts and bolts corporate structure. There are some ways in which the analysis is parallel, but at the end of the day, you can create a nonprofit, um, you know, where you're in a, in a number of different ways to address a free software project that does not have a diverse community. Um, obviously, uh, there, you know, you've got different corporate forms and a C6 has to have, which is a, a 501c6 is a trade association. It has corporate members, it has companies, different companies that are involved. A 501c3 is a charity and it has a more, you know, it has a public, well, if it's a public charity, it has a public support test. And so you want to have more individuals involved. But in both of those, both of those organizations and C6s, you need a common business interest. So you need a lot of diverse companies mm -hmm. in order to make it truly what the IRS and what, what our laws are set up to support. And with the 501c3, you're also in the same situation where you need a, you know, a really diverse section of the, of the, of the public. And, and the question of how do I get more people involved in my project and how do I, you know, diversify amongst individuals and companies is actually a problem that I think gets shoehorned into this corporate form and organization question when really it's a much bigger project identity question. I, I agree with everything you've said. I think that where I differ, what, what, I, what I was actually saying differently than what you were responding to was that these are, these are projects when they, when they are asking, they often already have some sort of worry that one company is going to have more influence than the other mm -hmm. uh, because of the way the project was founded or because sometimes the project was founded in sort of collaboration with one company or that sort of thing. And they want to move away from that level of influence into a nonprofit structure. Uh, that's a, that's not the only way people come to apply to conservancy or otherwise start looking at this, but it's one it's one part of it. It's interesting because um, technically, like organizations like the conservancy that are fiscal sponsor organizations. So in other words, organizations that have lots and lots and lots of different projects in them, from a a, a corporate governance perspective, if those projects are not diversified, it doesn't matter because the entire overall organization is because there are a lot of different projects. Um, and so what I'm saying, this actually really does still tie into my point because I'm just saying that, um, that the question about how to prevent one corporation from taking control of a project isn't really necessarily a corporate form question. It's not necessarily a, how do I, you know, what, it, what, what kind of corporate governance do I impose, but instead has to be about, you know, what kind of, lines do we need to draw in the sand about our project? We need to create rules and how do we encourage other people to participate? Well, I, I think I, I think that's correct, although I think that the corporate governance structure can help 
uh, because I think I think well, so. For example, you used to give this example of well, when it's aggregate, you don't have to worry so much about who's funding one particular project because across the board. Of yeah, all I mean, the it doesn't make for a healthy project. I'm just saying. Well, but in fact, technically the, 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 speaking, the nonprofit status can mitigate some of the issues you might find in those scenarios because you can have a situation where. There's a company uh, that's that's giving a lot to a project, con contributing a lot of money to it, uh, and if that money is being donated to a nonprofit, that nonprofit then has other. It's, it serves a different master, right? If it's a 501c3, it serves the public, so it has to spend that money in a way that benefits the general public and benefits the mission of the organization, which isn't necessarily and probably is not always aligned with the mission of the corporation. There might be places where it's aligned, which is why they're giving a grant, but it allows the nonprofit to sort of be a buffer. Yeah, and I agree with that. I'm just, I guess what I'm saying is that the overall, the overall picture of the community for any particular project in some ways exists externally from these questions because basically things get shifted around a little bit differently and it's convenient to have a nonprofit. There's tax benefits and mm -hmm. all sorts of good reasons why you do want nonprofits. I'm a huge proponent of nonprofits for free mm -hmm. software projects. Don't get me wrong at all. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just saying that, you know, the overall topography of a project kind of probably exists as it, as it would have anyway, because basically the company is only going to be involved in the nonprofit to the extent that it benefits their business interests anyway. Mm -hmm. So, and to the extent that there is an external community and they want to carry out, you know, somehow be stewards of the project from a, a, a community way that you know, that can happen with or without a nonprofit and, and drawing ways of figuring out ways for companies to be involved that will be healthy for a community for a free software project is, is the most important question, I think. And then designing the, you know, the, the nonprofit organization around that. I just think we get confused and we, we ask the wrong questions first. Oh, I, th I think that a lot of people do ask the wrong questions. I, so I want to give an example with regard to how Linux worked out this way that Linux is currently in. Uh, I would say that the Linux Foundation actually has a relatively thin involvement with the Linux community as mm -hmm. a whole uh, as far as how development works and so forth. Uh, but the problem that Linux had was a very specific problem which Linux Foundation solved for it which was, the, the they used to call it the Linus Torvalds doesn't scale problem. I don't think that was actually the right characterization of it. The main problem was that, <laughs> quite frankly, Linus was being paid by Transmeta. He said this mm. in an interview to do not Linux work, right? He was he was basically given the equivalent of Google 20% time or something like that to work on Linux. And his primary job was working on the processor for Transmeta, which eventually never took off. But the Linux Foundation was able to, well, OSDL before it, and then ultimately Linux Foundation, um, was able to employ Linus and put him in a neutral place where he could do the, basically, he's an editor of the Linux kernel. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is what the community needed. And they found a nonprofit structure to do that, but they identified their need first and said, what we need is a place for Linus to be. I don't, I don't, it wasn't done that formally. It was much more organic than that. But ultimately, that was how it worked out. Yeah. And nonprofits also provide, I mean, less so the Linux Foundation, which is a trade association, but for, um, but for public charities, for C3 organizations like the FSF, it provides a way for people to, to donate ideologically and get a tax benefit. There are a lot of people who won't give 
you know, a yearly charitable donation without knowing that they can deduct it from their taxes. And I actually think that it's not because there's such a benefit on your taxes. I think it's just the psychology of, of being able to list all of the nonprofits, that, the good works that you've done at the end of the year feels really good. And knowing that it, the organization is a public charity makes it more desirable to donate. So I think those kinds of organizations that have you know, membership programs like the FSF, like the EFF, like Friends of Gnome, all that, you know, that just gives people an excuse to give who may not have given anyway. And those are small donations, but they add up to be a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's correct as well. Um, so, so I, you know, I, and again, we apologize for the, <laughs> in the background. Uh, I kind um, of wish we had like beers or something, yeah, you know, well, like yeah. if like we, we made this the, the, the pub yeah, I, 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 I kind of wish uh, Conservancy could afford a rent into space where I don't have to uh, <laughs> to deal with this. This is you know this is Conservancy what I doesn't have a membership program, but um, as such, yeah. but uh, but you can but donate. No, we have yeah, public donations. Uh, well, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. But you should you can feel yeah. free to donate. To yeah, the, I mean, the reason I never called donating supporting Conservancy membership is because it uses the term membership to refer to its member projects. So. No, but I don't think do you don't have like a a real do you have like a. a Donors program? Uh, not, not, not formally as. Such. Yeah, that's what um, I'm saying. So, like, similarly, the Software Freedom Law Center also takes donations. is super grateful for any that we we receive. But we're not sort of we don't we don't send out we don't send out T-shirts when you mm -hmm. sign up. We don't we just can't we don't have the resources to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think th we don't, don't we don't send a newsletter. Yeah, it's, it's it's there's a lot of debate. This is off topic, I think, for what we're talking about. There's a lot of debate in the in the nonprofit fundraising community about whether or not uh, you have. Uh, uh, you you need a program like that, and whether it, mm -hmm. it actually pays for itself, and that's that's some debate. Yeah. Um, certainly, for an organization with only one staff person, like Conservancy, it's it's very difficult to to justify. Is it? Are we going to raise enough donations that it was worth the hours? Honestly, the even an organization the size of SFLC is too small to to you know yeah, to maintain I, I, well, a think, membership yeah. program. You know, and to do it right. Because yeah, you, it's you hard have, to do right, and it so. takes away the resources from from you know the rest of the activities of the organization and basically it has to bring in enough money to make it you know yeah. viable and yeah, I mean, other organizations conservancy is planning to do it i mean our our our, our board asked me to make t-shirts so, <laughs> um, so we're gonna have t-shirts eventually uh, and that sort of thing so but that's sort of off topic from this this nonprofit governance yeah. question is and i think i think one of the reasons uh i i was so keen to respond to andy Uptergrove's comments were that um I felt like he was sort of criticizing the Libra office people for wanting to form in Germany. It's it's apparently I, I didn't know this until I read his post. Actually, it's apparently uh, more difficult to form a nonprofit in Germany. You have to have a certain amount of money. Yeah, that was set news aside. to me. Yeah. But the but the thing is is that is that uh, and this is why I brought up this Linux Foundation mm -hmm. example. Uh, the community of the Linux developers identified this need for getting Linux employed. Uh, and then it was done by an organization. An organization sort of was there to do it, and I think it's very similar with LibreOffice. There's there's a, a, a there's always been a a center of development for initially OpenOffice and now the fork LibreOffice in Germany, and there was there's interest there of people wanting to form the nonprofit. And I think what you were saying earlier on about the the details of the corporate form don't matter so much. I think, I think that's, well, it's, it's not that they don't matter, but what I was saying before is that, is that the problem of how to maintain an independent community comes first and is a little bit distinct from the problems of corporate governance. And this is a perfect example because the truth is you can incorporate an organization in whatever state or whatever country you want to, but if you don't have the, you know, the momentum, if you don't have the participation, if you don't have the enthusiasm to keep it going, 
I can't tell you how many organizations that I've discovered were inactive or suspended or didn't have their annual meetings or, you know, just aren't staying healthy because there isn't the, um, there just isn't the time and attention spent to keep them. So, so, you know, even though the most ideal corporate form may be a public charity corporate, you know, incorporated in California or incorporated wherever, um, you know, it, 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 you can put them there, but that doesn't make it, doesn't make it happen. It doesn't make it, doesn't solve the problem just by creating all this legal structure. Yeah, and and I, and I think I think that it, it, one of the biggest things to decide what kind of form you should do is critical mass to do something. So right, so there was yeah. a group of people in Germany working on LibreOffice who said, "Let's form this document foundation here in Germany. We want to do the work." Uh, and and all they needed was was some money to do it, and they were able to raise that money. Uh, but but the, the the money is sort of inconsequential in the sense not that not that fifty k euro is inconsequential, but far from it. Oh but, yeah. But the ongoing that money means less and less five years from now, ten years from now. What matters is did the organization form in a place where there were p local people who wanted to make sure it kept going, make, wanted to make sure that it was alive or planning to have the annual meetings, all those sort of things that you have to do legally to keep a, or just sort of statutorily, what it's not really legally is the word I want, but uh, the, the things that the, the, the corporate form requires you to do, right. having those people Complying. willing to do it, compliance, yeah. Uh, different type of compliance than I usually talk about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but but that uh, th th having the place where people are willing to do that—that's the most important thing from my point of view. Yeah. More so than was it right for them to incorporate in Germany? Was it right for their community to be matched with a German nonprofit? I think that question doesn't really matter. Yeah. I mean, I think I you know I'm kind of with you. I mean, I I incorporate a lot of organizations in the United States, but that's largely because the people who ask me to do it have well, you me. Are citizens. <laughs> well, no, not even, but sometimes they just, they, they don't have any other access to legal help. So having a pro bono lawyer like me from SFLC is a factor in t that pushes it towards the United States in terms of incorporation. The other thing that pushes it towards the United States is having donors in the United States that want to take deductions because, you know, it doesn't go cross border. If you've got donors in Europe, you know, you don't, you can't necessarily take deductions from a U.S. nonprofit and vice versa. So that, that's just another, another point. Yeah, I think I think that makes makes sense, and conservancies dealt with this as well. Obviously, we have a number of projects in conservancy that uh, have a lot of developers in Europe, and there's questions. And we've been trying, we've been researching. You've been helping me for for years about how to set it up so the conservancy can take donations in Europe, and it's 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 very complicated uh, and very difficult to solve, and has not been solved yet uh, for that reason. Uh, yeah. But so I mean, it's really where do you have your resources? And resources means you know all sorts of things, including where do you have the enthusiasm and commitment. Yeah, I think, but I think that's uh, that's the most important resource, frankly. I, Which the enthusiasm? Oh, enthusiasm! I think so too. Um, but you know, where where it's diverse, sometimes having a pro bono lawyer in one place might tip the scales. Is all I'm saying. Well, I guess I would. would I guess I was counting under that under enthusiasm commitment. Because, oh, okay. So yeah, for somebody to be a pro bono lawyer, they have to have some level of enthusiasm because they're doing it for free, right? That is true. <laughs> so, that is so true. I was actually calculating that in there. Obviously, you can hire a lawyer anywhere to do stuff for you. Um, this lawyer is always wanting to be hired everywhere. Um, yeah, plenty, but, plenty of us. And I'm actually I shouldn't say us because I'm a pro. I'm a pro bono lawyer. I mean, actually, I, I take a salary from SFLC, but I do a lot of pro bono for other organizations. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the pro bono lawyers. And also, when you hire a lawyer from SFLC, you're not really hiring a lawyer from SFLC. <laughs> you're not usually paying, and we don't make the same salaries that those other lawyers do. That you can go out and hire. Just to be clear. Yeah. No, well, they, they, 
those other lawyers don't need those salaries anyway. It's just like, it's the it's whole a, legal profession scam. is pro- is problematic. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's actually a pyramid scheme. I don't think it's a pyramid scheme. I think it's a pyramid scheme. Which the profession of law? Um, the the way it's structured in the U.S. But the way that, that you take loans out and and then have to pay then have to get the salaries oh, to oh, pay oh, those oh, back. Okay. I mean, that's a classic pyramid scheme where <laughs> uh, you go deep into debt, but you're really going to be able to make a lot of money later. I mean, that's that's the definition of a pyramid scheme. Almost. It's funny. I had thought about it that way. Um, I wasn't including the uh, the schooling because, yeah, I guess also because I worked outside the United States initially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, all education should be free. I mean, as in price, but that's my view. Yeah, definitely. So, um, but uh, yeah, we're, and we we we're, 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 we can take our political radicalism elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I, I think I mean I think that that's uh, you know I, and there's all these options for right, nonprofit governance that you can go to because there's software in the public interest. There's Apache Software Foundation. There's Software Freedom Conservancy. Uh, did I miss any fiscal sponsors of note in there, Karen? Did it? Uh, there are a lot of them, yeah. so I don't know. And they some of them come in and out of being yeah. fiscal sponsors, active, too. Yeah. Uh, and then there's forming your own organizations, and there's uh, all, all sorts of different options you can have. And I think I think our advice probably is that, that where your commitment enthusiasm is, uh, you know, I, I've had people who are very enthusiastic. There's a project applying to Conservancy right now that has a few members who are very enthusiastic for the project joining Conservancy, and they're basically advocating for a Conservancy uh, joining in their community. Um, and that's the same sort of enthusiasm, right? Because it's not that they're enthusiastic about forming their own org, they're enthusiastic about joining Conservancy, and they're doing the work to, to make sure that it all matches up with their community needs and the conservancy stuff matches their community needs and so forth. And obviously I couldn't help them join if they weren't there doing that because I wouldn't have all the time to convince them. Basically I say, well, if you want to join conservancy, great. If you don't, I don't have yeah. time to help you. But people who want to join conservancy put the effort in to try and I think a lot of join. projects that consider joining the conservancy or another fiscal sponsor or even think about incorporating on their own are starting to think about the long-term viability of their project and sort mm. of their, its long-term independence and success. And and that's why these. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I wish that were true. I still get multiple emails a week of I started a project yesterday. Can I join Conservancy? Well, sure. Where, where yesterday is some epsilon within three months. And right? there are a lot of good reasons why you should start thinking about this stuff early. We've talked about that before, including you know finding a safe place to register trademarks, finding agreements about things that aren't common, uh, making sure that licenses are selected carefully. There are reasons to think about these legal issues early, but what we're generally talking about are projects that are thinking about incorporating because they have something already there. And, you know, it's in that section, it's it's in that that period of of life that you're, you know, that you think about forming or joining. And especially recently, it feels like I've had a whole number of projects that have come to me and sort of asked me some of these questions. And what comes out turns out to be more of a discussion of who is the leadership of the project and why? And what do you want it to be long term? And how will we ensure that um, that the project will stay healthy? You know, even if one company goes out of business, or if you know, if there's a reshuffling at this other company, um, or if this individual who's has a you know, prof, you know, an academic post winds up leaving. You know, and, and and I think that stuff is really interesting, and it becomes really an important part of of what we do. And 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 in walking through what should we do in a corporate form, we address the more important questions like, well. 
you know, how do we encourage people who are sort of on the periphery of the project contributing a little bit of code but not actually being heavily involved? How do we get them more involved? How do we get them to care about governance? How do we get everybody to agree on things that will keep our project safe in the long term? And this is why uh, Conservancy's most complicated discussion and debate with the communities uh, that join Conservancy is over the paragraph about representation of the project. Because uh, that's the paragraph that embodies, in our agreement, uh, that embodies their governance structure. Mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, of course, you invented, but um, <laughs> uh, it, 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 I mean, that's, that's where it's the toughest. That's, that's where we have to have the largest conversations because, uh, and I have projects in the midst of a joining process now having trouble building that. Um, and then basically, conservancy has to say, we can't, we can't accept you until you know what your governance is. We can help you find it, um, but you have to determine what it is. And I think it's tough for projects it's that have really been around tough. A long I have time. a project now that, um, that I've been talking to for a couple of months already that I haven't even, I haven't even decided which is that where to even possibly send them to which fiscal sponsor or because yeah. I they can't figure out what's the right way for them to run their project. And and I think I think the danger um, in having I mean not not to say I'm not a policy wonk because I kind of am uh, but but we have to be careful that as policy wonks we don't have this top down approach and, and sort of push onto free software ethos uh, governance structure and um, I think that might that not be natural for often them. happens and yeah. I think that's what troubled me the most about reading Andy's post while he's right about a lot of things in it you know I just by categorizing different models and sort of being well I don't know I mean maybe we'll, we'll see if he you know we'll see what he writes ultimately yeah. but um, yeah his post was mostly a meta post about what he's gonna post yeah uh, but but we find that it that these structures really do come bottom up you know like they really do say well what are you know what are you doing what makes the most sense for your organization how can we um, help you adjust organically so that um, the corporate structure reflects what you're doing but also looks long term yeah yeah I, th I think that's true I, I, I don't I don't I, I, I don't want to see, see, I think nonprofit development is really important because I think, I think what happens, and this is probably my final point on this, is that, is that companies sometimes, not all companies, but some of the for-profit companies will come in and fill in a void of, of leadership and governance mm -hmm. for their own needs, for their own, basically their own profit motive. So I, I want to see nonprofit organizations coming in to help the projects organically, the individuals basically find their governance structure and embody it in a nonprofit structure uh, so that that other thing doesn't happen, so that for-profit companies yeah, don't Yeah, I don't have up. any problem with the for-profit companies showing up and, and, and taking a leadership role, provided that it's a diverse enough amongst different companies. Yeah, I, I think the problem... the. <laughs> I mean, that, and that and that would actually sort of fall out into a C six sort of model and and so forth. So that would actually work out fine. I well, think, it depends on yeah. if that's the only yeah. uh, you know involvement or if it's broader than that. Yeah, but but I, I'm very concerned about about corporate control of projects and and uh, for profit corporate control of projects, um, and even and even nonprofit like nonprofits having too much control, um, which is one of the reasons we body we in conservancy the agreement you designed, Karen, um, really separates out the 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 development work from from the sort of of nonprofity work, um, so that so that the development works are not in, impeded by the nonprofit membership, uh, which I like because it sort of has a uh, division of labor in some sense. So that the non so I, even though I'm a developer, I'm not going to each of these projects and being like, so so what did you work on today? You know, like what are you coding up there? You know. Well, you're also giving me a lot more credit than uh, credit is due because we all did this together. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I think that. I, I, think, I, I think that fiscal sponsorship that... agreement is primarily your work. <laughs> that, 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 like, like if you want to look at commit logs or something like well, that. Well, that's true, but it was it was. <laughs> I just don't want to shortchange anybody because it was a decision we all made together. Um, actually, me and you and uh, and Evan Moglen and. Actually, James Mazeal was involved and Dan Ravisher. So there were a lot of people that had their hands well, in I've that. seen the commit logs. It's, it's mostly your document. <laughs> You've listed, uh, actually, all but one of those people were committers. Um, <laughs> but uh, I won't say which one wasn't a committer at all in the document. Uh, but uh, you were the primary. Uh, That's funny. Uh, drafter of that document. Um, and I've, I've actually done, if you take recent commits, I've done most of the work. Uh-huh. Lately. But well, actually, you have made... You have also made commits of stuff that I have drafted or redrafted that well, I have that's not That's true, but they were, I think they were mostly my ideas. Or actually, that's not true. They were mostly ideas projects had that I, that I wrote up. Well, some of them were you. your ideas. Some of them were refined by you, and some of them were further refined by me. All right. That's the beauty of working together. We don't have to keep track of these things. Well, that's why we have commit logs. Yeah. But I'm <laughs> saying that's not necessarily the appropriate <laughs> metric. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, the... Uh, interesting how that relates up to Dave Neary's study of the Gnome community and Greg Cage's study of the Linux community. Um, actually, uh, John Corbett had that slide up again of that same oh, yeah? study. Yeah, like he always does. He always the, does uh, the numbers at the end of summit. All right, so I think that we haven't really covered this topic in complete depth. I think we're probably going to get emails saying we didn't go deep enough on this. Well, so. we I guess we we gave a a little bit of a, a meta style uh, podcast to respond to the meta style post. I guess that's true. Um, and we can see what, you know, what happens. But, you know, I think over time we'll, we, we might want to do the same, like take case studies from projects that are, you know, from foundations that are, um, that are around and see, discuss some of the better points of them and how they might be applicable. We'll yeah. see. I won't make any promises though. Well, and I'll, I'll actually, I'll, I'll make the commitment to at least talk to some of the folks uh, who have been involved in this process as Project of Joint Conservancy and see if maybe they want to come on as guests. And oh, talk that's about a great it. idea. So I, I, I don't want to sort of out them on purpose or pressure them into doing it, but I'll ask a few. Yeah, there are some projects that have been in for a long time that might have really interesting discussions about that. Yeah, actually, to be quite honest with you, I think the newer projects have spent more time on this than the ones before. Um, I think you were more involved with the newer um, Oh, that's true. You did a number Because of I did all of it before. Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but we'll know. see. I think, you know... I like having interviews, actually, so maybe we'll try to get that set up in future. Okay. You're laughing. <laughs> I, I, it's, interviews are just more work. That's why I'm laughing. Oh. <laughs> more work for, uh, for producer Dan? That and us and everybody. More logistical yeah. effort. All right. No promises. Okay. We'll record what we record, and we'll uh, talk and, then. And I'll try to get Karen up earlier in the morning so we have less background noise. We'll go to our usual recording place. Uh, that's true, too. and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of halfbakemedia.com. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Freas and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Please provide any feedback to oddcast at faif.us.